Tonight we're going to begin a new mini-series uh, regarding Thanksgiving, living a life of Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I got to get one story out of the way. Uh, it's just some fun tonight regarding elections, and then I promise I won't bring it up too many more times, all right? A president met with the president-elect and gave him three numbered envelopes with instructions to open each one when they, uh, great difficulties ar arose. And so after the new president was in office for a short time, an economic crisis arose, and he opened envelope number one, and the note said, blame me, which he did. He blamed the former president. Sometime later, a domestic crisis arose, and so he opened envelope number two, and the note said, blame my party. And so he did, and, and so it was a, and a great show of partisan politics. He blamed the former president's partisan party in that moment. Later, a year or so later, a serious former uh, policy issue arose, and so he opened the last and final envelope, and it said, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> Yo, mercy. We don't know who's going to be the next president of the United States, but we do know who is the king of kings. Amen? And that's who we're here to worship tonight, and I just want to remind you of that. And so as we begin this, we want to uh, just in Thanksgiving, no matter what happens in politics, it doesn't change the book, it doesn't change our God, and we can still go forward. And so that's what we want to do. And so if you want to, look in, in, the, in your Bible. We're going to be in several places in Chronicles as well as in 1 Samuel and, and some different places. We're going to share a little bit of uh, history with you as we look at uh, just, our, our, uh, just how to respond with thanksgiving. Uh, because we have responses when we encounter different things that are going on. And we can respond in different ways uh, with situations that ar arise. And in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16, we see two people, as, as a matter of fact, that responded differently in different areas. In his book, The Folk, uh, Folk Psalms of Faith, Ray Steadman says, tells of an experience of H.A. Ironside in a crowded restaurant. And just as Ironside was about to begin his meal, a man approached and asked him if he could join him. And, and Ironside invited uh, his, uh, him to have a seat. And then, as was his custom, custom, Ironside bowed his head and began to pray. And when he opened his eyes, the other man asked, Do you have a headache? And Iron, Ironside replied, No, I don't. The other man asked, Well, is there something wrong with your food? Ironside replied, no, I was simply thanking God as I always do before I eat. And the man said, oh, you're one of those, are you? Well, I want you to know I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. Ironside said this, yes, you're just like my dog. That's exactly what he does too. You know, as we begin this series and we think about Thanksgiving, it's important, I think, as, as our life, we see these two responses of two people who are looking at these situations and they're, they're seeing uh, how to, uh, we're, we're going to see two people and how they respond in this particular situation in Thanksgiving or in uh, bitterness and anger. And so before we get there, I, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background before we get to the text in First Chronicles. And so um, just before we read it, let me just kind of share with you a little bit of the background in, coming into this story. If you look at uh, both the book of Samuel and Chronicles, you're going to see that there's different perspectives of some of the same event that's going on here. And while Samuel has this pro prophet-priest perspective, Chronicles emphasizes really the perspective of, of everything from the temple's point of view and how this affected temple worship and tabernacle and all of those things. And if you've, as a matter of fact, if you've ever read through the Old Testament... You might have noticed that in Kings and Chronicles, some of the stories seem to be duplicated. 
And you may even ask why. And let me just share with you, in Samuel and Kings, they have a perspective of an emphasis on the kingdom, and, and thus it's named Kings. But when you read through Chronicles, there's similar stories, but as we read through it, it has an emphasis on the events that surround the temple and the religious life of the Israelites. So it's neat how God gives us two different perspectives of the similar uh, situations. And so just prior to this story in First Chronicles, as we're about to jump into here, I remind you that the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, we read where uh, it was taken during a battle with the Philistines, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, who were sons of Eli, the prophet, uh, excuse me, the, the priest there. Uh, th these two men, they took the Ark and they brought it into the camp of the Israelites and they thought, this is going to gain us victory over the Philistines. And un unfortunately, they brought the Ark, but God didn't go with it. Uh, and so they lost that battle and the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. And so the Israelites lost, and the day was a sad day. Hophni and Phinehas were killed. The ark was taken, and Eli, the old priest, when he heard it, he fell over dead. It was a devastating day for Israel. And the Philistines believed they had won a great victory. But really, what they did was they brought a great calamity into their camp. Matter of fact, just, let's just to keep it kosher here this evening, they suffered from a multitude of sores, and even death came upon the land of the Philistines. And so the lords of the Philistines, just, as, uh, just to just kind of give you a recap, they decided that they were going to send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. They said, we don't want this near us. Let's, uh, and so what they did was they said, we're going to put a couple of offerings on it. We're going to put it on a new cart. We're going to put a couple of oxen in front of it. And we're just going to send it on its way and let it go wherever it wants to go. And just as, uh, just as it took off, we saw where God uh, allowed us to see uh, just directed that ark right where it needed to be. And so the Bible says that, uh, that there were 53,000 men uh, who were killed uh, in... Uh, well, let me back up. I got a little ahead of myself. So the ark came into the, the, uh, the land of Israel, and Joshua the Beth Shemite, he took it, and the Levites took it off. They offered the ox and the cart as an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. But these men chose to disobey God, and they looked in the ark... And 53,000 men were killed. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter number 6. But I want you to see in 1 Samuel chapter 7 in verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. The ark stood here forever, it seemed like. Almost half a generation, 20 years or more that it stayed here in Kirjath-Jerim. And the Bible says that it lamented. This word is in Naha, which means to wail or to mourn after. They mourned while the ark was not in the tabernacle. But really, it didn't change them enough to be able to go after it. They just left it because they were busy chasing idols and other things that kept them from, from the Lord. And so it really wasn't until the reign of David that the ark of the covenant uh, was brought into something that was used more than just a good luck charm. Saul, we saw use him. We saw uh, King Saul use it, but he was just a good luck charm. He said, bring me the ark and let's, let's have it so we can have a uh, God on our side in this battle. But really David, in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 3, he says, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we, we, inquire, for we inquired not at all in the days of Saul. It was a sad testimony a sad time for the nation of Israel. 
And in this section, as we deal with First Chronicles, we see that, that God, is, uh, God is calling them then uh, to, uh, to be obedient and to bring the ark and to worship Him once again. And so they attempt to bring the ark in, and as they do so, they did it the world's way instead of God's way. And so they put it on, on a cart, they had some ox drive it, and then it tipped over, and Uzziah stopped it with his hand. And you remember some of this story, I hope. Uzziah stopped it as it was starting to fall, and God smote him, and he died. And so the ark stopped at the house of Obed-Edom, and it stayed there for another year. Finally, in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, the stage is finally set for David and the children of Israel to bring the ark home. It's in this moment that uh, they are ready to bring it into the city of David, and David has prepared a place. Matter of fact, if you're in 1 Chronicles, you can look in verse number, number 1. It says, And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. He had made it ready. And so needless to say, after many years of idol worship, the ark was being restored to the people of God, and a king uh, uh, was ready to, to glorify God in all that was going to happen. And so that's kind of our, our background for our story today. And so let's look at, we're going to look at two people in our story, both David and Michael. And Michael was David's wife, and we're going to see her response, and then we'll see David's response as well. But if you'll join me in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, and verse number 25 through 29. Let's read this uh, short passage together, and then we'll read about David in just a little bit. It says, So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went up to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen. And all the Levites that bear the ark and the singers and, and the uh, Chenani, uh, the master of the song, with, uh, with the singers, David also had upon him an ephod of lemon. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the cornets and with trumpets and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. And it came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out at a window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her heart. Let's stop and pray together. Father, we thank you for the scriptures, and Lord, I thank you for this great reminder you give us as we enter into the Thanksgiving season, Lord, that we can choose responses, and Lord, we can choose to respond no matter the circumstances with Thanksgiving. And so help us, Lord, as we desire to develop a heart of Thanksgiving through the coming weeks, Lord, that you would find in us a joyful, thankful people, and we thank you, God. Thank you for your watch care in our lives. We have been blessed by you beyond measure. And Lord, we just turn to you now because, Lord, you are our hope. And we just praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here, I want to just very briefly look at Michael's bitterness tonight. And, and really, as we see this first character in our drama, I, I don't want it to seem unseemingly harsh or, or toward her uh, because I want to share with you a little bit about her backstory, which might help understand a little bit where she is, and you may even be able to identify with her in her story and where she's at. Michael was a daughter of King Saul, 
She was really, more than that, she was used as a pawn in Saul's hand to be able to destroy David. If you look at 1 Samuel 18, and you can probably turn there in your Bible if you'd like to follow along there. 1 Samuel 18 will be there in 19 and, verse, and chapter 25 as well in a moment. But in, in chapter number 18 and verse number 20, the Bible said, And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. It pleased him because Saul sought opportunity to kill David. In fact, he used this to demand uh, the foreskins of the Philistines and, and thinking that the task would be impossible and it would easily lead to his murder. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 27, we see where Dave, wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew the Philistines, 200 men, and David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And David kept him, uh, excuse me, and Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. And so we see these two had a great start in their marriage. They, there was love there. In fact, Michael even defied, defied her father at one point so she could save David, her husband. And in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, it says, So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And so we see that there was this great relationship here, and things seemed to be going good. But unfortunately, it didn't stay that way. Matter of fact, as David ran from King Saul... King Saul took her, and he annulled the wedding, and he gave her to another man. In 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 44, it says, But Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Phaltai, the son of Laish, which was of Galim. And so his wife was literally given to another man. And so, but as we go on, we'll see that after a period of time, David desired his wife back. I think he still loved her. He still had that desire for her. And he demanded her return as a condition of peace. In 2 Samuel, we see that this happened in chapter 3 and verse 13. And he said, Well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee, that is, that thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. So Abner brought her. And Abner brought her to David and, and allowed that reunion to, uh, to be brought back together. And we see these two, were, though, were never quite the same. And really, as we, the next time we see her in the Bible, the, that's where we see and read where she despised him in her heart. 2 Samuel tells the same story as in, verse, in chapter 6 and verse 16. It says, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. This is the sister passage of what we just read a while ago, but you can see kind of the tragic history of her life, and you can see how things went as a king's daughter to being used as a pawn to, and then being manipulated once again. And, and, and just through all of this, we see the tug and the pull and the bitterness and the anger and all of that that could have easily arisen in her heart. And we see that there's evidence of a terrible bitterness in her life. And when we look on this life, we have compassion on a lady that experienced so much pain, so much loss, and as I researched and studied her life, I, I couldn't help but feel like I was reading some sort of a soap opera drama going on. I mean, just back and forth and back and forth and all that was going on in Michael's life. But the reality is, is that, it, that her life was full of difficult situations, but every life has trials. Every life has different uh, situations that are difficult. We're all going to face hard times in life. And so she was uh, unique in that God made her unique, but really we all go through trials and, and difficult situations. But it's her response to all that had happened to her life 
that caused us to see what seems to be a root of bitterness that sprung up. We don't know what or even whom maybe she was bitter at. Because the reality is, is that bitterness, oftentimes, uh, you become angry at something, and that spills over into other things in your life. You ever, you ever uh, pull, someone pull out in front of you, and you get mad at someone, and someone, uh, next thing you know, someone in the car says something, you, you react to them instead of where the anger really been, should have been? We oftentimes deal with this with our children. And, and I have to remind uh, my children, uh, trying to relay me a story of what's going on between them and a sibling, and they'll be yelling at me and, and say, Dad, and, and, and you, you know how they get, amen, do parents in here? And you know how they get, and they get kind of yelly at me, and I say, stop, 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 stop. I said, are you mad at me? No. I said, then stop talking to me like that. Because it's important for us to see where they, where they direct their anger. Let's look at that together. And as we see her life, we see she's directing that anger toward David, whether it was toward him intentionally or not. And so I want to, I want to just go forward because I, in, the, in the Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me. And I want you to just read with me uh, ch chapter 12, verses 5 through 16. Because in, in chapter 12, God gives us an, an incredible place, an incredible passage that begins with verses that inspire us as Christians to walk with the Lord, to keep our eyes upon the Lord in, the, in our life. And then it deals with the father relationships we have with uh, God the Father as well as uh, how to end, um, how the, the difference in the law and the gospel. And so Hebrews 12 is a tremendous, tremendous uh, passage of Scripture. And in the midst of this, we're taught how God interacts with us as our Father. And, and so I want to just pick up there in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5. It says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, you have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight the paths for your feet, lest that which is slain be, burnt, be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. And follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. In these passages, we see where God is dealing with us as Christians, and he's, and he's demonstrating how He interacts with us as His child. And He's saying, listen, if, if you're in a place where there's chastisement, it's because I love you. Remember, uh, Revelation 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. And so God's chastening hand is a form of love, right? Just like as a parent when I, or a brother Alcorn, <laughs> if you've got to give some spankings... It's a form of love. 
I remember the first time, and I'm sure I'm not the only person, but the first time I had to spank one of my children, I cried more than my child did. I have no problems with it now, but then I did. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. It's painful every time. As a, you know, as I think I remember as a, as a kid, my mom would always tell me, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Do you remember, did your mom ever say that? I looked at her, I said, you're lying to me. <laughs> then as a parent, I understood. Because it does. It hurts. It hurts to have to discipline your children. And I know that God, when he does it, does so out of a heart of love for us. And he does so, and I love that he prefaces that with verse number 15. So before verse 15, he deals with this need for chastening because in verse 15 he says, "...looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you." and thereby many be defiled. And he's warning, and he's saying, listen, don't let any bitterness, don't let any of this root of bitterness into your life. Don't allow these things to, to hinder you from what God has planned for you, because God's got a bigger plan if you'll just submit to His leadership. You know, as a parent, that's, that's our, our hope, is that our children will follow our leadership. If they follow our leadership, if they follow our instruction, then it'll be much better for them, right? You get home, uh, your curfew's at 10, and you get home at 9.45, it's a much better experience for you than 10.15. But the truth is, is that we don't always believe that. And we, we want to push it just a little bit. I want to look at verse, Ephesians real quick. In Ephesians, he deals with anger and he deals with how to deal with anger. He deals with bitterness and ang angry, uh, being angry with other, other believers. And he says in verse number 26 in Ephesians 4, he says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. I've noticed oftentimes when people become angry, that, that anger can turn easily into bitterness. And I believe that probably that this is where Michael was in her life. She'd never dealt with a hurt that she'd been dealt in her life, and now she was at this moment. She despises her, her husband. She sees him joyful. She sees him in this moment, and she's upset. She's gone from a love that risked her own life to despising in her heart that destroys her. The sad thing is the response of God in this moment. In 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, Therefore the daughter of Saul had no child until the day of her death. You see, during this time it was culturally uh, to be found barren was no small shame. Fertility was seen as a gift from God and uh, truly He is the giver of life and to be without a child would be seen as, a, as cursed from God. We see that, in, and remember in 1 Samuel, when Hannah was barren, that she was mocked and she was ridiculed for her barrenness. And, and so she cried out to God at the altar, and God gave her Samuel, and she gave Samuel back to the Lord. Listen, this wasn't an easy burden for her to carry. As a matter of fact, many women today find themselves in the same boats, and they carry that, especially on Mother's Day, and that pain. I just want you to know that God loves you. He hadn't forgotten you. You know, Michael's barrenness was a, was a punishment from God, but that's not the case necessarily for you. But this is the warning that I see in Michael's life. Bitterness is not part of God's plan. Allowing an unthankful spirit to dwell in your heart is not what God desires for you and for me. Matter of fact, God just, God's desire for us, no matter the circumstance, is to respond with thanksgiving. 
to cast off bitterness, to cast off anger, to be able to replace the resentment with forgiveness, thanksgiving, and rejoicing. And so I want to contrast Michael's response with David's blessing here. And, and David had truly, he had gone through a time of tragic uh, history as well. His, and most of us are familiar with his life. I'm not going to spend as much time recounting his history. But, but he, I, he was the seventh born son of a poor shepherd. He was ridiculed by his siblings, if you remember. Uh, his life was threatened by King Saul. He narrowly escaped uh, with his life from, um, from multiple times. He was despised, hated, ridiculed. And that was by those that liked him. And so when you think about this life of David, and though we're not going to go into the details of his life, but we'll just remember that he went through hardships. He knew what it was to lose a child. He knew what it was uh, to have blood on his hands. He knew what it was to go through great seasons of sorrow. But I see that in this moment that he did not hang on to that bitterness and that sorrow, and he turned this moment into a terrific blessing. This time where, where all of Israel was rejoicing, all of Israel was celebrating God uh, and, and him returning symbolically with the ark into the presence of Israel. It was a moment where he rejoiced with all of Israel because he dealt with all of the things in the past. I want to read with you First Chronicles chapter 16. And I want to read with you kind of his response here. And so just, just start with me in verse 1. It says, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and he dealt to every one of Israel, and though both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, the next to him Zechariah, Jael, and uh, Shemaramoth, uh, and Jehiel and Mattathiah and Eliab and Beniah and Obed-Edom and Jehiel with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Benaniah also and Jehaziel, yeah, you got it. The priests with trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. You see, the response was completely opposite of what Michael's response. Michael, I almost see her looking down through her, her chambers on the, on the scene of what's going on down below. And she sees David dancing before the ark of the Lord as it enters into the city of David. And she despises and she hates and she hurts and all of those things because she'd never dealt with what God called her to deal with years ago. And yet here's David in the midst of this. He says, let us thank and praise the Lord. Now, I just want to skim over a couple of verses in the, the following, uh, the rest of the chapter. Verse 7, it begins a psalm. Verse 8 says, Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name. Verse 9, Sing unto Him, sing psalms unto Him. Number 10 says, Glory ye in His holy name. Number 11, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Verse 12, Remember His marvelous works that He had done. Listen, we, there is so much in this one uh, psalm that David wrote here that is so encouraging for the life of the believer. If you fast forward to verse 24, it says, Declare His glory among the heathen. Verse 25, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is 
to be feared above all gods. Verse 34, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Do you hear the theme of His heart? Do you hear what's going on within Him? He's faced difficult things, yes, but He recognized through all of it that God is good, just as we can today. What was God's response? I want you to fast forward all the way to the end of the chapter with me to verse number 43. And all the people departed every man to his house. And David returned to bless his house. You know the reality of this? Mostly we have parents in here today or grandparents. Your thankful spirit blesses your house. Or your lack thereof brings a curse. Thankful people bless God and are blessed by God. Let me ask you a couple of questions just, just to provoke some thought. How much time do we spend complaining to our children about things that they didn't get done versus blessing them for what they did right? How often does your spouse hear you bless the Lord or tell her you're thankful for her and the Lord. How many times are we found praising the Lord versus complaining? You see, it's easy to identify the problems in Michael's life and David and, and the blessings of David's life. But it's it's weird that we're hardwired sometimes to see problems first and foremost. We spend a lot of our energy and time focusing on the negative that goes on around us. And really, some of you have watched election coverage all day. My God bless you, you need a special dose tonight, amen? And so we have a tendency then to come into this and just feel beaten down and discouraged. Yet the blessing of God is found in a spirit of thanksgiving. Let me share with you Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So how do we do that? I'm going to leave you with a couple of points here tonight, and, and we'll be done. Regularly practice thanksgiving. Now, while I, would, I wish I was talking about turkey and dressing and all the good stuff, I'm not talking about that aspect. I mean the literal thanking God for all that He's done Maybe if, you're, if this is not something you're prone to do, maybe you set an alarm. And I, I love setting alarms on my phone for reminders. And, and I can just title it whatever I want to title it. And so if I need to call somebody, I'll just say, hey, set a reminder for whatever. Uh, maybe you need to set a reminder. Remind me every day at 9 a.m. to thank God for something. And then when that alarm goes off, look around you and find something to thank God for. Something different every day. But regularly practice Thanksgiving. If you do that, here's the guarantee. You're going to find yourself with that alarm going off on the side of the road with a flat uh, tire. And it's 20 degrees outside and it's raining cats and dogs. How it's 20 and raining, I don't know. But you'll figure it out. That's how it'll work. And you still got to find a chance to thank God. Secondly, learn how to see bad experience, how bad experiences can produce good outcomes. Remember Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Listen, seek 
how God is working in a situation and thank Him for it. I praise uh, the Lord for those who came in tonight and said, you know what, I'm not worried about who comes in the office next. You know what, because God's in control and His plan is bigger than our plan. I said, praise God. The last one is make gratitude a part of your interaction with people. One of the, my favorite things to do is, is to go into someone's house and compliment them for something. I can, I've been in all kinds of different homes in the ministry. You get the blessing of going into to, uh, really interesting homes. And as you go into different homes uh, uh, on the mission field or here, I always look for something I can say, man, I think that's really neat. That's, that's really awesome. And I just try to compliment something. And you know what it does is it, it helps people recognize, listen, I'm not against you. I'm for you. But more than that, imagine having an annoying coworker. Some of you don't have to imagine that, right? How many? No, no, don't say that. That annoying coworker that comes in your office or comes in your workspace, and you're like, "Man, would you just go away? Make them and take time to thank them for something they do. Find it something legitimate. Now, this may take a lot of prayer and a lot of searching and a lot of soul searching. I'm not sure, but take time to to make gratitude a part of your interaction with people. I want to share this with you as we close. A little poem I found that is just really encouraging. It says, Although things are not perfect because of trial or pain, continue in thanksgiving, do not begin to blame. Even when the times are hard, fierce winds are bound to blow, God is forever able, hold on to what you know. Imagine life without His love, joy would cease to be. Keep thanking Him for all the things love imparts to thee. Move out of camp complaining, no weapon that is known. On earth can yield the power praise can do alone. Quit looking at the future, redeem the time at hand. Start every day with worship to thank is a command. Until we see Him coming, victorious in the sky, we'll run the race with gratitude, exalting God most high. Yes, there'll be good times, and yes, some will be bad. But Zion waits in glory where none are ever sad. So let us give our lives to thanksgiving. Let us choose to respond in everything with thanks.